The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hello, it's me, Anita Rani, and welcome back to another episode of Downton Abbey, the official podcast. From the tiaras to the tailcoats, the scandals to the silver, this podcast is here to luxuriate in all things Downton in celebration of the latest movie. And what better way to celebrate than by meeting the inhabitants of the castle that keep the wheels turning? That's right, it's time for the cast below stairs to shine. First up, it's our favourite head cook, Mrs Patmore. Mrs Patmore has been with the Downton service team since episode one. She's undergone love, loss, eye surgery, and all the while we've watched her relationship bloom with the brilliant Daisy, her assistant cook. Leslie Nickel, Mrs Patmore, the boss. Yeah. You. Come on, you are. Come on. Let's yeah. like just put it out there. No, Who runs Downton? It's true. I'll tell you what, at the very beginning when we started doing this show, when it was TV, we were told like who was the most important downstairs and it was very, you know, it was accurate. Apparently, the butler, the housekeeper, the cook. But in the kitchen, nobody is above Mrs Patmore. I mean, she's, yeah, your boss and it has never been the same since that day and it will always be that way. Just, I know it's audio, but I'm <laughs> looking at you and I'm sort of gone misty-eyed because it's. I'm, so, I'm like, oh my God, you're actually here, Mrs. Patmore. <laughs> I've seen you in loads of things, Leslie, but this character, Aww. what, I mean, she is, it's such a loved series, but, and a love, like Downton, the whole, whole phenomenon is so loved. But Mrs. Patmore is in our hearts. What is it about this character that means we love her so much? I'm probably not the person to ask, really, except that I do know this. At a party, where does everybody go? They all go to the kitchen, kitchen. don't they? Yeah, to the bowl of crisps. Yeah, it's a sort of safe place where yeah. people... Well, that's where I always used to end up, that's for sure. And I think that's this sort of the heart of the house is in the kitchen. So, And in the story, what was great was I got to work with Sophie, who plays Daisy. That started out as me being an horrible old bully, but here comes that mother-daughter thing. And that's been a very important part of it for me, just working with her, actually. You're a phenomenal duo. There is so much heart in that storyline between the two of you and the sort of character development and the way we see... You you mother her yeah. and really kind of train her. Daisy, how the squad's doing? Fine, Mrs Patmore. What about the silly bubs? The orange peel and brandy mix is cooling in the larder. I'll whip the cream during the first course. And what about the savoury? Mushrooms peeled and cut, anchovy butter's ready. I'll make the toast when they eat the pudding. Oh, my God, the vegetables! Now, you said that you did some research and, you know, you were told that the cook in the kitchen is... It's her domain. Yes. How did you go about finding out what life would have been like and kind of what that would have meant to be a cook? Well, I have to say household? we relied on our, our historical advisor, Alistair Bruce, who was on it from day one, and he he made it so much easier, to be honest, because, you know, we didn't really... You can read the books and all of that, but he, he gave us really kind of accurate information, which made sense, so that when Mrs Patmore was shouting her head off at the beginning... 
you kind of have to figure out as an actor, what's that about? Is she just mean or what? And he put it in context and he said, you have to understand there's no such thing as a bad meal at Downton Abbey. You know, the stakes are really high. You've got to do well. You can't have any of your team let you down. So if anybody's looking, their work's looking a bit shoddy, she can't have it. So then you go, oh, okay, I understand. Her job's on the line. And also she's proud of her work and she cares and she wants to do well and for the family. You know, all then it suddenly starts making sense. So he gave us all that kind of information. And then you know how to play the part. And also Julian's a phenomenal writer. So it was all in the script. You didn't really have to go and do a whole lot else. Except yeah. we did have to ask for technical advice when we were ever doing anything in the kitchen because neither of us can cook. You can't cook? Come on. Not really. <laughs> not really. So we made sure that we never did anything technical because it's like anybody will know that I'm not a cook if you see me rolling pastry badly, you know. I mean, so much changes historically through the series and then through the films. And, you know, Julian does this. He sets it in a specific context and there's different backdrops. But you spot it in the food as well. Yeah, like yeah. In the first series, I think the first bit of food, obviously I'm going to notice it with my Indian heritage, but there's kedgeri. Yes. I mean, yeah. how much research goes into the amount of food? Well, you see, we have, can... again, we have an expert doing that. Yeah. She's called, I suppose, the home economist or something, Lisa. That's her skill. She knows exactly. I mean, she would bring amazing contraptions into the kitchen and you'd say, Lisa, what exactly is that? And it would look like a big pile of olives in jelly and sort of aspic, which actually, if you think about it, would be disgusting. But... The aspic thing they used all the time to preserve the food, to keep it safe. There's reasons why they used certain things. And she knew exactly what she was doing. And if she had a big dinner scene upstairs, I think she used to use a little bit of fish maybe rather than chicken because the chicken could go off under the lights. She's very skilled and she would know, A, how to make it look right, how to be accurate at the period and how to, to make it edible for people as well. But the food is so important to the whole of Downton in that yeah. it's the times when you see all the characters sit down together mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah. have those set sequences. Yes. It's so important. I yes. mean, upstairs and downstairs, yes. when yes. you sit around those tables. And, and the upstairs particularly never stop eating, do they? They never stop eating or drinking. I'm surprised they've managed to... Why are they never hung over? And why are they so tiny? I know. I know. I, know. <laughs> I think they must be nibbling, but you're right. I don't understand. Um, and But those key sequences, you know, you are, yes. I said you're the boss, you're also the heart mm. of this entire house. As a character, but also what you're doing, providing the food, nourishment mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for them to sit down. Yeah. When you get given a script as a character that, you know, that's so loved, do you think, yes, another one, brilliant, the film, bring it on, well, a new era? I mean, it's, it's a job, I, I don't want it to ever end, you know, because it's always, A, it's a bunch of people that love being together, that's a start, and... You know, the scripts are always fantastic. And it's a character I love playing. It's so easy to dip back into her. Why? What do you love about her? Um, I suppose I feel like I know her very well and I feel there's sort of some similarities to me, not all of them, but, but Julian has exposed different layers of characters for everybody. So you got to see a very vulnerable side of her when her eyesight was going that was you saw for the first time she was extremely scared and vulnerable and frightened that she was going to lose her job as you say that's her life and it means the world to her to be in that house so yeah he just kept adding layers of things to play which was which is great because that's what we all are we're not one thing any of us are we we're multifaceted layers of different traits you know we all are and like you say, Julian, he explores so many different character traits yeah. and humanity 
Yes. And there's so much humanity in Downton, particularly downstairs. Yes, yes there is. And in a way, there's sort of interesting storylines happen there because yeah. that's where society is evolving at yeah. such a rapid pace. Yes, yeah. And in a way, your character is a character that is from the past and totally. the world is changing totally. around her. Yeah. How um, is she adapting to well, that? Well, <laughs> she hasn't done too well over the years. If you think about it, every time a new piece of equipment came into the yes. kitchen, she'd have a conniption fit because, quite rightly, she didn't know if this was like the beginning of the end for her. I mean, how would you know that at that stage? You know, when they bring in things that save time and save labour... What happens if you can all do it with one person? In fact, I think she said that in the series. Pretty soon they'll just have a lady from the village and all I'll be out of my ear, which is what she was fearing. But that's what's kind of interesting if, if you have followed the journey of this from the TV through to the two films. This, this new film is going again into a different period of time. The world really, really is changing. And, of course, it affects them. They seem to be in a bubble, but they're not because... You know, the house has changed, attitudes have changed. What hasn't changed is, for her, I suppose, is her loyalty to the family. Her standards are still what they were. She despairs a bit with people who losing focus and going off and getting all excited about film stars and things. You know, she gets a bit annoyed about that. But but she has to accept that things are not what they used to be, and they're not. Yeah. You know? she, I think that's why we love her, because she evolves. She has to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she just moved with the times, even if she does it slowly. Yeah. Um, so, is it the gift that keeps giving for an actor? I imagine yeah, you know it is. It really is, and and it's changed. I can't speak for everyone, but I'm pretty sure it has changed everybody's lives pretty dramatically, and not just professionally, but in many different ways. You know, many different ways. It's a it's a global phenomenon. Have yes. there been anywhere that's really surprised you? Because I was recognised by a farmer in in a field in China, <laughs> and that's because 160 million people. They told me. Watch Downton in China, and then and I know how come, but I can promise you something resonates with them, and I don't know. Well, it's the universal storyline of humanity. I'll tell you yeah. what resonates with them, Mrs. Patmore. <laughs> Food, yeah, yeah. Food connects us all. Yeah, and family, and family, and family, and loyalty. We have been blessed as fans to be able to watch the majority of the characters stay in the show for over 10 years now. However, that hasn't stopped new characters coming in that have quickly established themselves as firm favourites. The one that immediately comes to mind is footman Andy Parker, played by Michael Fox. Let me remind you, he arrived in Series 5 for Lady Rose's wedding and quickly became a permanent fixture of the Downton service team. His story took a twist when he found love with Daisy, which led to an act of passion that almost derailed the royal visit in the last film. Here's the moment he first arrived on our screens in Season 5. All of you, Andy here will be an extra footman while we're in London. Please be helpful to him. Starting at dinner tonight. Yeah, that's the idea. How did Mr. Carson find you? I was working as a hall boy. Mr. Carson rang my old butler to see if he had any ideas. But it's only a week's work. Will he take you back? I don't want to go back. Not as a hall boy. I want to be a footman now. This is the first step. I think that's brave. Well, you've got to be brave these days. Do you know London well? Not here. Grew up in the East End. And I've only ever worked in Bayswater. Bayswater? Yeah, north of the park. Oh, yes. I know where it is. Michael Fox, welcome. Hello. Andy Parker. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> 
What a gift of a role you stepped into. Series oh, yeah. five? Yeah, series five and the series five. And now, hello, Mr. Main Character. I know, it still feels quite surreal. Yeah, I joined kind of once the Downton train was rolling and I come out of drama school quite recently. And it's just kind of been the most incredible, incredible job. You yeah, because it's like you're stepping into something so loved and yeah. done so well. I think that's yeah. the key, like brilliant scripts. I mean, it's, it's yeah. slick and it's a phenomenon. It's incredible. So is that daunting? Yeah, it was definitely daunting. Definitely daunting. Uh, me and Sue Johnson joined on the same day, who plays Denka. And so we felt like newbies together. So that was quite reassuring because she's a legend and she's brilliant and I've always loved her work. So feeling nervous with her was good and my character was quite nervous so I could get away with channeling some of my nerves into <laughs> I don't know if Julian wrote him nervous <laughs> I decided he was nervous you must have known when you saw that your storyline was going to be a romance with Daisy that you were in because she really is one of the most loved characters she really is yeah footmen have come and gone and then you don't know how long your kind of trajectory as a footman is going to be because like the house moves and the footman move and stuff but then to end up with Daisy, it's, it's awesome. You know, she is really one of the most loved characters in the show and she's brilliant and she's been in it since the very beginning. Why do you think that is? She says exactly what she's thinking. Mm. She doesn't really care about whether she should have a voice from her class. Like, she's going to speak as loud as anyone. She's political. She's very modern, I'd say, in her outlook in that context, you know, and people love that because she's refreshing, I think. Completely. And I think you're right. She's totally honest. She's transparent. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's no sort and of... vulnerable and she's like, yeah. Yeah, and we've seen her arc. We've yeah. seen her grow and we've seen her relationship with Mrs. Mrs. Patmore. Patmore yeah. And it's like, yeah, now we've got our Daisy's got Andy. You yeah, know? yeah. And she really is our Daisy. <laughs> yeah. We don't see... Do we say? Can I say? About where we are? Where do we meet you in this movie? Well, it's interesting because I think there's a spoiler in the poster. Ah, right. Because okay, she's yes. got my... She's got my name. Ah, yes, so, yes, of course. So, so you're married. So I'm married, yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> um, what kind of marriage would they have had? I thought they should have had like a, you know, you know, in like um, the, you know, Titanic's not a good example, really, but that in the film when they're spinning around and they're dancing, and there's like a big jig and it's all crazy and they're having a great time. And Kate wins and it goes down and has a lovely time. I think it would have been like that, just a big old like crazy. Yeah. Dance off. There'd have been some dance off or some there sort of a Charleston dance off. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> and and also Andy's mates would have been coming from like London, Bayswater. He probably would have brought all his mates along. Yes, and, <laughs> and, uh, quite fun. and it's about them setting up their life together. So, yeah. what are their sort of? What do you think their aspirations now? This footman has married Daisy. Like, what what's the reality of their life and the aspirations they can have or not? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean. I, I guess, I mean, they're both ambitious. I'd say, I'd say that Andy's ambition is probably to follow in the footsteps of Carson. I think she gets frustrated with his maybe lack of ambition. But I think Daisy's just going to, you know, we don't see it in this film, but I feel like you could easily see her breaking away from the house and really doing, carving out her own thing, being much more independent of the house. And then they want independence, they want their own place. Yeah. And they want all of the things that people have when they're together, I guess. Kids, I don't know. I'm, I'm just thinking. Are you are you suggesting that Daisy has a spin-off? Like Daisy and Andy have like um, uh, their own. Julian, if you're listening, <laughs> um, Daisy and Andy spin-off. Yes, please. Back to your character, Andy. And you said you played him. You you channeled your nerves. 
He would have been nervous, wouldn't he? Would he be nervous yeah. stepping into a role like that? What would getting a job for Andy's character, becoming a footman, what would that have meant for him socially? Well, it's huge. I mean, you know, it's a great job. I think I judged it early on about it being subservient and thinking, you know, you just had to kind of bow your head and go and not really be seen. But actually, a footman is the front of house. He's a peacock. He's dressed beautifully. He's the first thing that the people see when they come into the house. So there was immense pride and he takes great pride in his work and he could see himself maybe becoming a Carson in the future. So it was security and kind of social status. So I kind of got that wrong, I think, early on. I think I assumed it was that until I walked on set and worked with Alistair Bruce, who's the historical advisor, who kind of said, no, actually, he would be super happy with this job. This isn't being a servant. This is being a pretty special character in the village. That's so interesting that before you got on set, that's what your perception was. I suppose you're thinking about him in a modern day context. Because, yeah. you know, I, I was going to ask you, would he have observed what was happening upstairs and thought, I deserve more in my life than this? I don't know, because it's interesting. I think it's really difficult to bring it into modern day because they were much more aware of their position in social class. And yeah. that wasn't really going to move. It wasn't really going to change, apart from Branson, who's obviously changed. Like, But for him, it yeah, was like... Branson? Uh, yeah, Branson? What's going on with Branson? He's done the leap upstairs. He's done all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So maybe, maybe he's thinking that. But um, he won't... He's, it's not going to happen. Him and Daisy, you know, it's, it's like, what's the best thing that they can achieve in their working class. Like. Mm. Give us some insight into the job of a footman. What did you have to learn? What did you get your head around? Like, what would his day-to-day -day chores have been? <laughs> well, very early on, Alistair said to me, I'm too casual a person. Like, I was sort of, like, cross my arms, like, like unshaven, as you can see, just sort of messy character. And he's like, you need to really become much more precise and controlled in every movement that you're making which is a huge thing and then, and then really practically it was like the right way to serve someone most of the time they serve themselves which is a bit of a surprise so it's like this like swan like thing you see in the dining room scenes of leaning in which is actually quite you know it's a thing to learn of how close you can get to someone in all of their finery put the raspberry coolie near them and just hope to god that they don't spill it on themselves and then as we, as we go along, he is just always there saying, he's basically always saying to me, take your hands out of your pockets or yeah. straighten your back or look a little bit more regal. And you you do it so well. Like <laughs> you just completely have come in and embodied yeah. Andy Parker. I have to say, I actually re I really love those bits. And basically because of the formality, he gives you all of these details you, you have to do. That's what makes it authentic yeah. because... It's the, it's the attention to detail that makes yeah. us believe. Yeah. Right? And, and, and what we're watching is it's real. 100%. I think if it's not there, you do really, you don't really necessarily know as an audience why you'd miss it. Yeah. But it's like part of the world. It's like, and that's Alistair, you know, that's Alistair coming in and painting in between the lines of the scene that's going on in front of you, the upstairs scene. And I've got to ask you, because you've brought in, you've got this lovely love storyline with Daisy. Well, then the real life love <laughs> thing happened as well with Laura, who plays yeah. Lady Edith. Yeah. I mean, amazing. Yeah, How wonderful awesome. is that? Yeah, it's amazing. I'm just yeah. saying, because this is a podcast, <laughs> I don't think your smile could be wider right now. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm getting embarrassed. But, um, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, but, you know, I served at Raspberry Cooley and the rest is history, so that's great. But you are a footman and she is a lady. I know. So that's a scandal. I oh, know, and I still make her tea as well in real life. <laughs> that's actually a lie. She makes me cups of tea. 
why <laughs> she hate that if she had it. She always makes me cups of tea. Um, yeah, it's awesome. You know, we well, we definitely like when we go to work. It's really amazing having like a pal there and just you can go home at the end of the day and just go. Oh, I was thinking this. I was thinking that. And just having a person to go on this kind of mad thing together. There's that name again, Alistair Bruce. Michael perfectly demonstrated how critical having Alistair around as the historical advisor is for the creation of the show. Well, I'm slightly obsessed with Andy and Daisy's potential future, so who better to ask about how their marriage might have played out than Alistair? Julian charts an interesting time with this social change of Downton Abbey, particularly downstairs, because originally, if you married in service, you had to leave, particularly if you were female. There was a great anguish about morality everywhere. And the idea that anyone might be sexually connected to another person was beyond almost people's comprehension. Yes, it was allowed if you were grand and if you were married. But if you were in a role of service, then all of that was described as much too messy. And of course, it would be very difficult for a young footman to find somebody to spend time with or to meet and follow the course of nature with. Therefore, I think it's really special that we see Daisy and Andy married. And it's a sign that attitudes are beginning to thaw a bit. And one of the great drivers for that was that less and less people necessarily wanted to come into service because they thought there was a better chance for them out in the wider economy where you could see the retail service growing. You could see uh, trade developing that made opportunities out in employment generally, much, much more attractive. After all, if you worked in a shop, you only had to start at eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning, and you were home just after five. Well, if you were in service, you were up at five and you probably didn't finish until 10 at night. So these changes happen because in order to keep the workforce, the old fashioned values and their expectations of moral rectitude had to give way, after all, to what is worth giving way to, which is the love of two young people. And I don't know if Downton Abbey will continue for seven more films or any more films, but what one should assume is that we will see the challenges that are faced, as we do in Anna, of people who are in service to a family and so therefore have to give their total loyalty to the family, and yet Anna has a baby. Where are her loyalties? And almost Anna would provoke anguish in the modern mother and father if she and Bates don't deliver the proportion of their dedication principally to the child rather than to the family of aristocrats to whom they are indentured. It's a lovely word, indentured. It means, you know, it's like, it's like me pulling my heart out and giving my soul to my employer in a way. And that's what's ending, and that's what Julian's catching at. In our previous episode, we looked at the family above stairs, and we heard from Julian about the cruel necessity of killing off characters when it's the actor's time to go. But what happens when it's the other way round? When a character arrives who's only meant to be there temporarily, but something about them is impossible to let go of. That was the case with Joseph Mosley. Ah, Mosley. First came to the castle as the valet to Matthew Crawley. After Matthew's death, he returned as a footman, but later became a teacher at the local school. Yet he would occasionally return to Downton to help the team below stairs for larger events. 
Julian Fellows. He's just joyful. Talk about it. Yes, I love Mosley. It's one of my favourites. I mean, I think at the beginning, I thought of him as coming in to be the butler and valet for Mrs Crawley and her son living in the village. And that would be that. And at some point, I mean, I don't think, I hadn't given him a sort of exit date, but as the show developed, then that would probably change or whatever. Um, But Molesley, in the hands of Kevin, became a very poignant character, very subtle, very funny, but also very sad, Mm -hmm. which is a very interesting combination to watch and to write. And really the plot that taught me that was when I'd written it, of course, but when Hugh's character, Robert Grantham, Mm. says to Matthew, look, he's just trying to do his job. And Yes, 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 I remember. And I thought, that's so good because, again, a lot of the audience will be watching this thinking, oh, he's all right with his valet dressing him. And you're just making them look at it differently. Yeah. And how it was an interdependent setup. You know, I remember that scene really distinctly because we watch it with modern eyes, but it made me think, my God, yes, don't dismiss his life and his job and his pride. And make him nothing. And make him nothing, yes. Matthew was making him nothing. Yeah. And nobody should make anybody nothing. Completely agree. Why don't you stay for dinner and we'll talk about it? We'll send down to Mosley for your clothes. I'd better not. My mother's expecting me. But in fact, I've been meaning to speak to you about Mosley. Oh? Would you find me very ungrateful if I dispensed with his services? Why? Has he displeased you in some way? Not at all. It's simply that he's superfluous to our style of living. Is that quite fair? To deprive a man of his livelihood when he's done nothing wrong? Well, I wouldn't quite put it. Your mother derives satisfaction from her work at the hospital, I think. Some sense of self-worth. Certainly. Would you really deny the same to poor old Mosley? And when you are master here, is the butler to be dismissed or the footman? How many maids or kitchen staff will be allowed to stay? Or must every one be driven out? We all have different parts to play, Matthew. And we must all be allowed to play them. Delighted that I am joined by Kevin Doyle, Mr. Mosley. Yeah. We look look at the smile on my face as well, <laughs> Kevin. We love what an amazing character to play. Yes, it's a gift actually. Why why do we love him so much? I I don't know. I suppose I suppose people respond to the fact that he's he's got a a good heart. I think he was viewed with suspicion early on because he, yeah. he, he made a move on um, Anna quite early on and yes. people didn't really like that oh, very no, much. No, no. But then you, you swerved that. I did. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, there's something about his vulnerability, I think, and the fact that he is a little bit flawed and messes up. There's a beautiful, beautiful storyline. When Matthew dies at the end of series three, at the top of series four, we find Molesley possibly well with, without a role at Downton. And so he sort of questions what he should be doing. And it's evident from that that he's lived with a lot of disappointments in his life. You know, he had sort of bigger ambitions, but 
he was forced to go into service, mm. despite clearly having a bit of a brain, but, uh, you know, he needed to make money. So you, you're aware that he's had a lot of thwarted ambition and disappointment in his life, and slowly he begins to uh, create a new life for himself. And I think uh, I, I loved the, the storyline where he, he became a teacher. Mm. I found that very moving, actually, because sort of, you know, after years and years of disappointment, finally, something that he has is recognised by other people. I, d I don't know whether you know, but I was when I was first came to the show in the first series, he was only supposed to be around for a few episodes because they didn't really know if they needed that character. And sort of slowly he kind of crept into the hearts of viewers and writers, obviously. Yeah. So uh, I was really, um, I was pleased, obviously, but I was, I was really, um, yeah, I was delighted. It's so rare that actors in this country especially get a chance to work on a character for te 10 years. Yeah. So um, it's been a joy to sort of see this person evolve. He was a bit of a figure of fun at first mm. um, and suspicion. And he's kind of, as I said, he said it kind of slowly crept into the hearts of, of viewers. So I'm, I'm really pleased about that. Well, it's that. testament to you and your incredible acting talent that you brought that to the character. Oh, you thank know, you. It's the acting that brings them to life. Well, you know? the, yeah, and the writing as well. And what's lovely about Julian is that because he was an actor himself, he knew, you know, he, he respects actors and he can spot where an actor is bringing something to a character, and so he responds. Um, there's a lovely uh, line, I think it's probably my favourite line, that sums up the man, actually. He says, I've, 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 I've had my career go backwards. <laughs> and you know, and this kind of sums up the man in a way. But the last few years, he, he's kind of begun to see sort of new, a light on the horizon, which yeah. has been lovely to explore. So can you tell us a bit about what's in store for him? in this film. <laughs> um, By the way, I haven't seen it. No. I have read the script. <clears throat> okay, all right. And I love, love your storyline. Yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> it's delightful. amazing. It's delightful. I, I'm always surprised by what Julian has in store for him because the, the, you know, the first film, I hadn't realised that he was quite the royalist as he turned out to be. <laughs> So, uh, so well, that's where we see the comedy. That's that right. Brilliant yeah. So, scene, yeah. so oh, okay, all right. So he really likes the royal family. <laughs> so, um, and then in this one, it's revealed that he's a he's a big fan of the cinema, and that's uh, wonderfully explored in in the film. So he's a uh, yeah, he's a big fan, and uh, he's very excited when the film crew turns up to to Downton to make the movie. And he just wants to sort of be around as much as possible. Actually, as a side issue, I'm a bit worried about the kids at school because he seems to have forgotten all about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's probably just left them with homework or something. So he's, he sort of hangs but around. But happens in Downton. Husbands are left behind. Children yeah. are, you know, yeah. the nannies. Things, yeah. the people are looked after. Yeah, so he uh, <laughs> he's delighted to be around the movie making and uh, he kind of... In his own sort of peculiar way, he sort of manages to sort of uh, inveigle his way into the production. So, in various forms. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's 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 so beautifully realised as well, and it uh, it leads to the most astonishing <laughs> climax in the film. It really does, yeah. and I can't tell you. No. Well, none of us, but it yeah. is. It's such a twist. Yeah, we don't see it coming. No.
Now, before we go, production designer Donald Woods spoke to us about creating the look of Downton Abbey. I asked him to tell me more about this very distinctive look. When we started, um, it's really, as, as people who know it, is, it's really two worlds in one house. So really we wanted to creatively make distinct distinctions between those two worlds. So in a sort of headline way, Downstairs is restrained, black and white, almost monotone, very few colours, very um, north light, uh, Scandi almost. Upstairs is glorious technicolour, golden, gilt, beautiful colours, the sun's always shining. So it's really those two worlds. We've always tried to make sure that Hamlet's through costume, all the downstairs costumes are always very greys and black. Not to their detriment, it's just a stylistic thing we decided to do. Upstairs, completely the opposite. So once anyone went through those gr- that green baize door, the world changed. Let, can we talk a bit more about Below Stairs? Because I think a lot of people don't even realise it's a set. Yeah, um, when we first started, we realised all of the Below Stairs were tea rooms and offices and been modernised. So we knew. And also, they're in the bottom of the house. You can't light it. It's the, there's a whole building on top of them. So we knew we had to build the set. And we made it into a complex. So there were hardly any doors in it and hardly any... Uh, they're all opening so people could travel through it. It was always going to be busy and very bustly and those servants worked 18, 20 hours a day. So that's what we tried to get is, is a sort of, it's movement all the time, whereas upstairs is very tranquil. And then with the colours, we just really wanted to make it black and white, very monotone, very cool, very restrained through costume, through the makeup, through the lighting, through uh, production design. So it was a very cool, not you know, not still beautiful world, but still, but a very different world from above stairs. Could you give me a few examples of the downstairs features that you've had to build that you think have become iconic and really symbolic of life below stairs? <laughs> uh, yes, I think really the, the the thing we tried to do was I don't know if people notice is the walls. The walls are basically a meter thick or nearly a meter thick, so you feel. You're at the bottom of the house. You're feeling that it, the whole house has been held up by this below stairs. And, and the, we brought in sandstone floors, real sandstone floors, to give it a, a hardness and help, you know, just help the actors. That's what you have the set for as well, is to help the actors be in the moment and being, being in their lives. With this new film, I know in the previous film that you had to build a few rooms. What about this new film? What bits of set have you had to build specifically? I've got them written down because there's a few of them. <laughs> um, um, well, the smoking room, because this was a room where the gambling den was created. We'd, it was actually in season four, briefly. That was a, that was quite a big build. It was off the drawing room in a room we never go into, so we pretended it's always lived there. We built, built the French hat shop, which Carson went in to cool off and and the like. Now, interesting, Isabel's drawing room, that used to be a location, still is a location, but because of COVID, it was in Beaconsfield. We thought we shouldn't go to somebody's house at the time, so we rebuilt that as a set. Carson's Cottage we also built as well. The exterior's down in Wiltshire, but the interior we built for the first uh, film and adapted it slightly for this film, give him a kitchen and also a bedroom, that lovely scene in the bedroom where he's reading the guidebook frowning about what the French eat. (laughs) Let's talk about France now, because for the very first time, we're seeing these characters taken out of their natural habitat and put into a foreign country. How did you go about it? What did you want people to feel? Did you want it to be a contrast from their 
lives or did you want it to be a continuation? Did you want it to feel like they're stepping into another world and that they were ducks out of water? Tell me how you went about this challenge. Well, as we've done on the TV series, we've been to Inverary in Scotland, we've been to Annick Castle. So we've done a lot of the English feel of it all. And I think when we sat down, we really wanted the French villa to be totally different, to have colour, to have light, to have rooms that we've never, ever seen before. Also, when you're in the Mediterranean, the architecture is different. You haven't got doors you close because it gets chilly and there's a beautiful beautiful window where they sit down with a lawyer which is just the biggest wind looks onto out onto the garden and and is, is stunning well you never have that in a northern european house because you just freeze to death so i think the challenge really was once we found this beautiful villa is actually showing it you know stepping inside and feeling the moment and you know once we got there we we changed a few things once simon and andrew saw what was really there the biggest change we actually emptied the house we've totally decorated the house with furniture and we had to change some of the the paintings so it took 3 days to empty the house and linda our set decorator redecorated with sort of slightly older fashioned french french furniture probably you know more louis the Louis XV type of furniture. So it was in a modern setting. We had some modern paintings, but had traditional furniture, greenery into it, palms, and just gave it a sort of, kept the Mediterranean inside and outside. I mean, the view was stunning anyway, but yeah, it was, it was really that. It was really adding to something that was brilliant in the first place. That's the end of this deep dive into the characters downstairs. Do join me next time for episode 10, The New Callers to Downton where we'll be meeting some of the new characters joining the Downton world for the very first time. Yeah, I was absolutely terrified. I, I think I stumbled, fluffed most of my lines on my the first scenes we shot, and they were all very sweet about it. This is a Something Else production. Make sure you follow Downton Abbey, the official podcast, so you never miss an episode. And do not miss the film Downton Abbey, A New Era, only in cinemas this spring. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.